This is the Author Archive podcast. I'm David Freeman. In this episode, UFOs. I met Timothy Good when his book Unearthly Disclosure was first published. I'd met him before, and I am sceptical, but uh, sort of respectful. So when he came into the room, I thought, well, we'll go straight for it and just ask the straight questions. So, Timothy Good, do you believe that we have been visited by sentient beings from another world? No question about it. I can't prove it, David, but the evidence is overwhelming, in my opinion. I see. Is it a matter of faith, like religious faith, no. or knowledge? I think it's a, a, partly a question of knowledge, yes, because there is a lot of ignorance still about this subject. Um, I'm constantly running across scientists, for example, who, who say, well, you know, there's no scientific evidence whatsoever for uh, alien reality here. And I say, well, how many scientific papers have you read on the subject? Um, none. I said, how many, I would say, how many books by scientists have you read? And they admit total ignorance. And the fact of the matter is that it's taken seriously by certain elements of the scientific community, particularly the scientific intelligence community. And in China, amazingly, you can't become a UFO researcher unless you have um, a college degree and published papers in your particular discipline. And there are thousands of UFO official UFO researchers in China, and it's debated quite seriously by the Chinese Academy of Sciences. The attitude over there is completely different from the West, where generally scientists in particular are embarrassed to, to get involved or, or to, to have their involvement known. But you're not embarrassed. No, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not a scientist. I only got three O-levels, for heaven's sake. So. <laughs> <laughs> but there must have been a day when you were as sceptical as me, and something happened to you which made you sure. What was that thing that happened that day to convert you? I'm very reluctant to discuss this um, incident, but I will do so since I have actually published it in my last book, Alien Base. And, you know, I became interested in the subject in 1955, mostly because of my involvement and interest in aviation and space travel. and. It was a natural progression, really, and the fact that so many thousands of airline pilots and military pilots and air traffic controllers had been reporting these things since the 1940s, in some cases earlier, immediately impressed me. But I didn't have a sort of concrete evidence that, that I needed. And it came in 1967. I had been told by various people whose cases I was studying very skeptically at the time that there were actually some people, beings, from elsewhere living on this planet. And I said, oh, come on, I don't believe that. I mean, where do you meet these people? And they said, oh, you can meet them in the supermarket. And I said, oh, come on, nonsense. So they said, well, why don't you try an experiment? So in 1967, I was with the London Symphony Orchestra, February 1967, doing a series of concerts at the Carnegie Hall in New York. We were staying at what was then the Park Sheraton Hotel, which is quite close by. And so I thought, right, I'd met people who claimed to have met beings from elsewhere who apparently were highly telepathic. So I sat down in the hotel lobby, the Park Sheraton, and in my mind I said, right, if there are any of you guys from elsewhere, come and sit down next to me and prove it. Well, half an hour went by, you know, and in New York, um, especially in hotel lobbies, there are some very peculiar people. <laughs> so 
After a while, this guy came in. He was straight out of Madison Avenue, absolutely immaculately dressed, dark gray suit, white shirt, tie. He looked, if anything, if, if I could uh, put a nationality to him as Swedish, I would say, extremely intelligent looking. He came and sat down beside me on the settee. Everything he did was slow and deliberate. He had an attaché case from which he took the New York Times, turned the pages over like that, folded it, put it back and sat there. So I thought, right, here's my chance. So in my mind, I said, right, if you're from another planet, would you please take your right index finger and hold it to the right side of your nose? No sooner had I thought that than he did just that and kept it there. So then I thought I was relatively young at the time. Being British, you don't speak to people unless you've been introduced. And I missed the opportunity of a lifetime in a way. But nothing further happened. He just sat there, I sat there, and eventually he got up and he looked at me very seriously and then he walked away. I've never seen him since, but I'd certainly recognize him again. Now that is no evidence for anybody else, but it was cathartic for me. It was the proof I needed. And unless you'd experienced that yourself, I don't think you, you, you could possibly begin to understand it. But that's what happened. And I feel a fool talking about it, David. And yet, a few years ago, former Air Chief Marshal Peter Horsley, Sir Peter Horsley, who was equerry to the Queen and Prince Philip for seven years. He was Deputy Chief of Strike Command with his finger on the nuclear trigger, claimed in his autobiography that he had had a two-hour meeting with a telepathic extraterrestrial human-type being in the middle of London in 1954. So I feel rather more comfortable discussing my experience in, in light of his uh, revelation. At the end of the new book, which is called Unearthly Disclosure, you do go back to this subject of them living amongst Some us. Some of them, yes, indeed. Yes. Okay. So are you still of a mind that says, yes, they are amongst us? I think so, but how many, I haven't the faintest idea. I have not had an experience like that one in 1967 since, so I haven't seen any aliens. So since that time, but I have spoken to plenty of people who have. Okay. At the beginning, there's a disarmingly honest, at the beginning of one of these chapters, there's a disarmingly honest statement, and you say, we're now going to talk about something which is slightly wacky, because there are stories in this book that you are not totally convinced about, aren't True. They? Yes. And um, there's sure. pictures, pictures of an alien here. Um, this. Yes. Now, I mean, I, uh, you have to look in the book to see. What do you make of this? Come on, Tim. I mean, this really. This is an extraordinary case. It's unique, really. It involves a young man, Filiberto Caponi, who between May and October of 1993 had a number of encounters with an apparently alien creature. At first, he thought it was some, something that had escaped from a zoo. But over a period of time, he realized that this creature had uh, astonishing abilities. And he took a series of Polaroid color photographs over that period of time. The first two pictures didn't come out well. In fact, they mysteriously transformed themselves overnight. But subsequent photographs came out crystal clear, uh, as one can see in the book. And I am convinced that they are genuine for several reasons. First of all, I've got to know the photographer and his family over a long period of time. 
he had a witness. He had a, 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 there was a second material witness in the shape of his grandmother, who was close by while he took the last photograph in October of 1993. Other people in the village heard, and some even saw the creature. But I commissioned an expert witness checked by the Law Society, uh, Professor Roger Green of Warwick University, to examine these pictures in detail, and he did so. He took a long time, several months, and he's come up in legal terms, within legal um, definitions that, as far as he's concerned, the pictures don't represent what the obvious conclusion of many people who haven't uh, read the entire six chapters relating to that, those photographs is that it's not um, some sort of puppet or model. The problem is that Capone is an artist. He's a very skillful artist, um, and he also works with terracotta, and he has, has done various sculptures, which I've addressed that problem. But again, uh, Professor Green has, has examined um, photographs closely of uh, Capone's work, various examples, and he concludes that uh, it doesn't really bear any relation to the sort of work that he produces um, professionally. I, mean, I, I mention this because uh, you talk about your experience with the, the man who looked Swedish in an immaculate suit. This is not a Swede in an immaculate this is, suit. This is very definitely not, David, no. Um, there seem to be several species involved. And time and time again, we come across beings who look like nothing on Earth and others who appear very similar to human beings, albeit with certain differences, like, like um, telepathy, for example, or slightly different eyes, um, features. Um, there's a case from Spain I've got there where the iris and the eyes were twice the size of human eyes, but uh, they were definitely human in appearance. So there appear to be several species, including creatures such as these, and uh, there are other reasons why I think the pictures are genuine. I don't think any hoaxer would have gone to the extent of putting these bizarre tubes which come out of the, the sternum, nor covering uh, the creature with this peculiar foam-like substance. Um, I, I really don't. And Filiberto himself is completely compelling. He suffered a lot as a result of maintaining that these pictures were real. He was charged by the Carabinieri, the Italian military police, with disturbing the public peace. Um, he was ordered to sign a confession that he had fabricated the photographs and the story. Um, but eventually, all charges were dropped, and he got the original Polaroid pictures, which had been confiscated uh, by the Carabinieri with the aid of a politician and a lawyer. And um, incidentally, this was instigated um, by me. I, I said, I think the it's time now for you to get those pictures back from the police. And uh, all charges were dropped against him. So at the time these pictures were taken, this creature was alive? Yes. I mean, I'm just struck with stuff like, well, it obviously breathes oxygen then. Or then maybe, uh, maybe it has, well, I don't know, it, it's a, a, a different sort of, it could be a not carbon-based life form, it could be a silicon-based life form, I suppose. But the similarities are just a bit striking, aren't they? The, the similarities to us. In some respects, yes. Um, it also had a, a very odd, well, several odd physical attributes, but one of which was that it had a, like a, a, a bundle or a balloon on its back. Um, rather like some creatures, there are certain types of uh, toad, I gather, yes, which yes, puff yeah. themselves out. And this creature would puff itself out in the back before jumping and springing, for example. 
And that's another thing. It was able to jump uh, very great heights and run at phenomenal speed, making this shrieking sound. It clearly seems to have been injured because there were bandages around its legs. Again, that's something I don't think a hoaxer would think of doing. But in the initial stages, and you can see it in the, in the early photographs, there were bandages around mm. its legs. We don't know where it came from. I cannot say where it came from or what its purpose was. But I can say, in my opinion, that those pictures are, are the real thing. What about the, the greys, the, um, the, the archetypal visitor that we have come to know? What, what's, your, what's your take on that? My take on that, David, is that such a creature does indeed exist. Too many people have seen those creatures, but the problem is that the descriptions of these creatures are now too well known, ever since Whitley Strieber came out with his best-selling book, Communion. Uh, and in fact, the famous picture on the cover of that book isn't exactly um, as Strieber described it, but it was an artist's impression. And it's interesting when people come up and say, I saw all oh, the creature I saw looked exactly like the cover on Communion. It's nonsense. I would say the majority of all people claiming to have been abducted by grey aliens are deluded or they're simply lying. Um, particularly, I, I hasten to say, in the United States, where hundreds of thousands of people now claim to have, not just to have been abducted, but to have cooperated in a sort of hybridization program, whereby they are producing a, a sort of alien-human hybrid. And yeah. it's outrageous, a lot of this stuff. And unfortunately, even some academics believe these stories um, at face value. I do not, I'm afraid to say, that because too much is known and it's so easy to make up these stories. That's Timothy Good, who has written extensively about UFOs. And he was talking to me in London when his book, Unearthly Disclosure, was first published. This is the Author Archive. I'm David Freeman.